Welcome to the Strong Single and Human podcast, a real look at single parenting, the ups and downs and how to navigate life with kids on your own while keeping sane. Covering subjects such as domestic violence through to fussy eaters and solo dating. I'm your host, Claire Martin. Welcome. Okay, following on from our fascinating discussion regarding feeding our brain, I have the awesome Delia McCabe back to talk to us about stress and the female brain. Delia shifted her focus from clinical psychology to nutritional, get my teeth in, nutritional neuroscience and then did a PhD focused on female stress and nutrition. Her research into female female stress has been published in a number of peer-reviewed journals and she's regularly featured in the media. Delia also supports behavior change and stress resilience, God, try saying that in the afternoon, within within corporates and for individuals who want to optimize their brain health via online courses, workshops, and tailored events internationally. Having had a stressed female brain herself, Delia now speaks on cultivating calm and serenity while enjoying chocolate, yummy, and yoga to maintain it. Hi, Delia. How are you? I'm fine. And how are you, Claire, in chilly Melbourne? Thank you. I know. Look, thanks for coming back. This is awesome. So, wow. Stress and the female brain. Now, I'm a woman. I'm very stressed. I can list many forms of stress in my life, like my child, work, dating, maybe not. But, you know, let's face it, I'm juggling with many balls and um, we, as we all are nowadays. So, like, what have you discovered about some of the causes of stress in women? Look, it's a fascinating subject. And I took five years to do a deep, deep dive into it. And I came across some really sobering and really interesting information. So I'm really excited to share it. The first thing that, as you mentioned, you know, women know that we have a lot on our plates. We, we have the struggle with the juggle. We're trying to do it all. And the biggest problem, I think, that has been perpetuated by the media and some people maybe who have private trust funds and chauffeurs is that we can have it all and actually we can't. We can't have a perfect home and perfectly dressed children that are eating a perfect diet while we look perfect, going to a perfect gym, having a perfect job. It's all just nonsense. We can't have it all. And so what we're talking about in terms of stress related to all of that is psychosocial stresses. That's our job. That's our caring, you know, for children. And as we get older, our older parents, um, community work, being involved with work paid inside the home and outside the home. And of course, the disproportionate amount of domestic work that women do when they married, you know, or they have a male partner. So there's enormous amount of stress. And as you mentioned, single mums have even more stress. And the research shows that clearly because it's very hard to bring children up well and still look after ourselves and stay sane. So those are all the psychosocial stresses. But what many people don't realize, Claire, is that the female brain is different to the male brain. And, you know, the media tries to tell us we're all the same, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's not true because... Um, the male and the female brain are very, very similar. Let's okay. start off from that premise. But the differences are very, very noticeable. Okay. Okay. So 
because let's face it, I could tell you that the male brain is very different from the female brain. I mean, you know, we can multitask and they can't um, and various different other things. <laughs> Shame. I shouldn't say that because I have lots of colleagues who definitely can multitask. But um, OK, so what is dif- what is the difference? What is the difference between the female brain and the male brain? And also how we react to stress, because. Um, we're all under stress men are under stress various different types and some of them single dads have the same stress as us single mums but how are their brains different how how is does stress affect them women and men differently okay so it's interesting because there's a quite a lot of research related to this and if if I, if this was an in-person presentation, for example, I'd pull up this grand slide and I'd show this slide and people will go, wow, because you can clearly see from the slide that the female brain is busier than the male brain, specifically in the front part of the brain, which is the prefrontal cortex area, whereas the male brain is busy at the back of the brain, which is much, much more to do with moving our bodies and our physical state in in space and so on so you can clearly see that from the slide okay Okay. so we have different areas of the brain that are busier at different times and i think i always joke about this multitasking because it's actually a myth i think there was a scientist one day in his home and he watched his wife at the stove and she had the baby on the hip and she had a spoon in her hand and she was stirring the soup or the stew or whatever and he said oh women can multitask Because the truth is that it looks like we're multitasking, but actually we're shifting tasks and we do it faster and more efficiently Ah. than men simply because the two parts of our brain, the two hemispheres are more closely, uh, not closely aligned. They actually have got a, a, a more strong connection versus the two male hemispheres. And there's a lot of research that says that's not the case, but a lot of research says it is the case. And you can see this because if you ask a woman to remember something from 50 years ago, she will and she'll quickly be able to say what it was, when it happened, who was there and who was wearing what. Yeah. Whereas the male will go, uh, hold on a second, where were we? You know, so yeah. we know that the female brain is faster than the male brain in terms of memory and emotion. And that takes us to the next point. Our limbic system, which is the part of the brain that processes emotion and picks up fear and deals with stress and also deals with memory because memory is related to that. We need to remember what was a stressor before and what was a danger before and remember where we felt good and not. Mm -hmm. That part of the brain, the limbic system in the female brain is very much more connected or tightly wired, if we want to put it that way, than in the male brain. So we access our emotions a lot more efficiently, a, a lot faster than men do. Mm. Now we speak generalizations here, okay? Um, yeah, like let's not offend anyone here. We're saying, no, you no, know, it, is, we're not, yeah, exactly. It, this is generalizations. You know, everyone's different. One hundred percent right. But just think about this: while we were evolving, women had to be very, very good at picking up facial cues from little creatures that couldn't yet speak. Okay. So yeah. we had to evolve a way to be a little bit more intuitive, a little bit more in tune with the children that we were bringing up. Because if we didn't become more in tune with them, you know, it was very hard to pick up who was hungry, who was scared, if they needed nurturing, whatever the story was. Whereas yeah. men were more focused on the hunt, you know, more focused on the community. So these are just natural adaptations that we've developed over time. And there's nothing right or wrong about them. It's they serve different purposes. So that's the second part 
um, is the limbic system is is a is a lot more tightly wired and it's it seems to be more alert. Mm. The, the female brain is more vigilant than the male male brain under certain circumstances, and that's that's interesting. Um, the other thing that's really interesting is that there's a part of the brain called the cingulate gyrus, and the cingulate gyrus is a very um, sophisticated part of the brain because it's involved with our capacity to bond with our children and with our mates. It's involved with our picking up cues from other people. And it's also involved with, it's kind of like a relay station. So you get a thought in there and the thought, you know, you have the thought and then the thought moves on when another thought arrives. Yeah. And the challenge with the singular gyrus in women is that sometimes it can get stuck, especially when we're stressed. So that's why you'll have a thought going around and around and around in your head. Ah. <laughs> because yes. that, that waylay station, you know, kind of like, or should I say that relay station gets a little waylaid. And so you could be talking about a problem that you've had for the last six months and you talk to a male about that problem and they'll say, didn't you solve that six months ago? You know, we've been there, done that, tick the box. And you'll go, no, no, I'm still thinking about this and this and this related to that issue. So we have a different way of dealing with problems to the way yeah. the male brain deals with them. And I think this leads to a lot of frustration between the sexes because men don't understand while we while we hop on something, we're not hopping on something. We're just looking at it from lots of different perspectives. Yeah. So that, that's something else that I think a lot of women aren't aware of. It's quite natural to have that capacity to ruminate it obviously served us. That's why we still we still got it. But it can get out of whack when we're stressed. Yeah. Look. I look. Yeah. I I resonate with what you're saying there because um, I can't process things if I haven't verbalized them. So basically, if they're kept, if if I keep it in my brain and I don't actually splurge it out of my mouth and get it out into the wider world, I can't seem to process it. I have to, and it's quite funny because I've got a couple of awesome male friends of mine who just sit and listen to me spout and I just say to him look I have to get this out of my head because if I don't get this out of my head whether it be on paper or just verbally out I can't then process it and I can't then get to a solution because I just can't work work through it in my head it's it, like you say I get stuck in a cycle and I keep going round and round and until I actually go and splurt it all out I then can't. I then can't get to a solution. Perfect example, Claire. Perfect example of what women, many women, need to do. That's why we chat to our girlfriends for hours. We're trying to work through things, you know, by speaking mm. them out and hearing what they think. It's it's an emotional, vocal, intuitive kind of a response. But stress makes it all more difficult for us to deal with all of that. Okay, so that that's another thing. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's something else that we have to add into the mix, which is our hormones. Now. Very few women like to admit that their hormones do impact them, but there are very few women that won't really be honest when they're speaking to a friend and say, wow, you know, I know that my hormones were out of whack and that's why I behaved in that way. So I think if we're really 100% transparent, we know that our hormones do impact us. And the way this happens is because our estrogen and progesterone fluctuations impact serotonin and GABA which are two very powerful neurotransmitters. Now we know what serotonin does. Yeah, I was going to say, I know what that is, but what's the GABA stuff? GABA um, is an acronym for gamma aminobutyric acid, and it's a soothing neurotransmitter. It calms us down. So when women have high um, concentrations of progesterone, 
in their bloodstream, they will feel calmer because progesterone works with GABA to make them feel calmer. Um, okay. When progesterone dips, women can feel irritable and cranky and have more cravings, which is also related to serotonin. So men don't have that challenge. They have testosterone, which is pretty regular um, synthesis in their body, and it tapers off over years. Whereas for women, we have estrogen and progesterone that fluctuates every single month. And then we fall off a cliff when we go into perimenopause and menopause. And suddenly, no estrogen, no progesterone, or very little of it. And if we've been very stressed, our adrenal glands that are supposed to pick up the slack and produce a little bit of those hormones to get us through to the other side, post-menopause, are exhausted and they can't mm. do the job properly. So our always advise women who are feeling chronically stressed to pay real and serious attention to that because when they get to perimenopause and menopause, they're going to have a huge challenge because their adrenal glands are going to be exhausted and won't be able to tide them over into the next phase of, of womanhood. Because they've gone through all of this stress such, because Absolutely. they've had a stressful time and therefore their adrenal glands are knackered, basically, is what you're saying. 100%, and, yes. And right, so okay. The way those hormones work in conjunction, as they're tapering off, you know, our adrenal glands are supposed to pick up the slack for a little bit until we kind of like get used to it. So that's a huge challenge, those hormonal fluctuations. And many women don't realize that monthly we have to deal with it. It's also why women often crave um, magnesium during that period, because if they're not having enough if there's, a, if there's a, a shift in serotonin synthesis and in GABA synthesis, it leaves us feeling like really hyped up and we feel like we're not coping. And it's actually a magnesium deficiency because magnesium is also required to make those hormones and make the neurotransmitters wow, okay. and make adrenaline. So if we don't have enough magnesium, we're in trouble on all those fronts. So, you know, it's quite natural for women to gravitate to chocolate because we know when we have that chocolate, we feel better. And there are a number of reasons for that, which we can chat about, but that's how we know that we're deficient when we're craving that, that magnesium at different times of the month. So that's a challenge. And then there's another challenge, which kind of like snuck up on me when I was doing this research, because mm. when women have had a, a stressful childhood, and this is related to abuse. It's related to, you know, not feeling safe in your family, having a lot of challenges growing up. When they have that experience in their youth, the brain primes itself for a stressful lifetime. Now, let's just explain this. Okay. This, and this is, a, this is interesting because once women understand this, they can better manage their life and better manage their stress. So, when the brain is developing and it's developing in an environment where the child often feels unsafe, the amygdala grows bigger. Now, the amygdala is part of the limbic system, and it's kind of like the lighthouse of the limbic system. And it's looking out and saying, okay, could this be dangerous? Could this situation make me feel unsafe? Could I be physically threatened in this circumstance? How do I feel about this? And so it has mm. to get bigger to accommodate all this feeling of stress and overwhelm that the young child is feeling because the child is not in control. The environment yeah. is not impacting the child. So the amygdala gets bigger. Yeah. The bad news is it stays big. So as that girl now grows, she becomes very vigilant in her life. She becomes very alert and probably a little bit nervous about situations. She'll always be the one with heightened you know, anxiety, which would unfortunately also predispose her to depression. She'll be on the lookout for situations that could be problematic just because her amygdala developed at a time where she felt vulnerable. Now, 
We can't go and do research experiments to prove that this is the case, but we know it's the case because of unfortunate natural experiments. Yeah. So World War II okay. was one of those, Claire. When children were separated from their parents during World War II and were sent to a safer place, they experienced a lot of stress, a lot of loss, a lot of heartache. And this was obviously a situation that they didn't feel safe in. 60 years later, they went and revisited many of those children, now elderly people, and they found that their cortisol levels were still high. Wow. Wow. I, I know because there's a very famous Canadian physician uh, called Gabba Mate that I, I follow. He's um, specializes in addiction and, and trauma um, and how trauma and addiction are actually connected. Um, and he was one of these World War II um, children that basically was separated from his mother. He was a year old. He was separated from his mother. And even at that young age, he is now, God, crikey. Um, 70, 80, I don't know, I'm trying to think. But he's now, you know, eld elderly. He doesn't look elderly, but he is. And um, he says it's, it impacts his life even now all the way along from, from, you know, because he felt abandoned by his mother, which was a traumatic experience because he didn't see her for six months. So all of that that went with it. So I, I can understand how that may affect a child quite considerably and contribute then to how they are later on in life. No, that's okay. It's just amazing that that happened when they were children. And even now, it's still 60, 70 years on, they're still dealing with high stress levels. Well, there are two things to consider here. That woman had a greater response to that stress than men did. Okay, so that's the first thing. So the female brain was more sensitive to this, but it's not that the male brain didn't adapt you know, in a negative way, it also, yeah. did, but the female brain seemed to be more sensitive. And the researchers believe that that's because of the impact of hormones, um, you know, in the, in the female brain. So that's oh, the one okay. thing. The second thing is that, you know, the brain is neuroplastic. So anything that we expose the brain to will change the actual structure of the brain. So when you really think about that, that's really yeah. sobering. But the challenge is that in childhood, there are windows of, of growth and development that you can't rewind. So those are mm. windows where that development and change and plasticity is extremely sensitive to specific cues. And when the child is exposed to specific events during those windows of development, that's when they have the, the biggest impact. Yeah. So you through that stage and then have a wonderful life after that. But because that terrible event happened within that window of development, when that specific brain structure was very sensitive, which in this case is the limbic system and the amygdala, that means you can't override it. It never goes away. So these people, as the researcher that you, that you just mentioned, yeah. these people have found this out and now they know that they are more sensitive to these impacts of normal adult life and stress because their brain became primed for stress in their in their childhood. So with women, we have the psychosocial stresses, just to summarize. We've got the limbic system that seems to be a little bit more sensitive and more, more tightly wired, connected than the male limbic system. Thirdly, we've got the hormones. And fourthly, we've got the potential for an increased sensitivity to adverse childhood events. 
And so the female brain in many ways is primed for stress in a different way to the male brain. It's not that men don't experience stress. They just experience stress differently to the way women do. And our psychosocial stresses, ironically, they ask us to stretch ourselves across so many different domains. And this busy female brain that is more sensitive to all this activity in our environment, that's, that's basically mirrored within the brain that capacity to not switch off, that capacity to try and deal with everything, to try and make, you know, all the things that we're doing successful and and leads to a tendency for perfectionism too, because that's a way to control things. Um, and And if you get the tendency to control things, you feel that you can actually lower your stress, which is not the case at all, but that's just a tendency. So those are all the things that combine in kind of like a perfect storm in our very wonderful female brain. Oh my God. Yeah, no, we seem to have it all. <laughs> if we were to look at it like, you know, um, you know, I sometimes think that men have it easy. And after you've just said all of what you've said, I've gone, yep, they definitely do. Yeah, we just have hormones. <laughs> we have a, you know, social environment and everything. And it's, yeah, no, definitely. So look, um, okay. So we... We it is we do lead a stressful life. Uh, you know we're trying to juggle all of these different things. Life does get crazy. How do we how do we recognize? How do we how do we look at and go? Oh, there's some red flags here. I need to sort of like I need to slow down. And I'm really the worst culprit ever for slowing down. Uh, and I've been in several stressful situation I just think that's okay I can power through I can power through I'll be fine and uh, only recently with various different health concerns um, have I actually gone well hang on a minute I'm getting older I need to slow down I need to meditate more I need to do all of these various different things that will just relax me down because the stress is in my life and that's starting to affect me and my health And I need to sort of step back and go, hey, you just can't live how you did in your 20s. You've got to step back a little bit and, you know, you've got to calm it down a bit. So but what red flags are there that we can recognize that then can help us to do that step back? And then what do we do? How do we manage it? So you really hit the nail on the head when you said, um, I'll just push through because this is where I see the kind of woman that exhausts herself and ends up with Mm. adrenal exhaustion and being burned out is the kind of woman who doesn't generally say, hey, I need to step back. She's going, no, I'll push forward. Tomorrow's another day. So I often tell people that adrenal exhaustion is much more of a personality disorder than it is a physiological disorder. Because if you can get your, your tendency to stop pushing and pushing and just relax, if you can get that under control, then you won't get adrenal exhaustion. The reason we get it mm. is because we don't step back. That's just from a psychological perspective, me putting on my psychologist hat. That's where the tendency needs to be dealt with. So that's actually one of the first red flags. I'm exhausted. I know that I'm running on empty, but I'm going to push forward. Yeah. First red flag. And look, being a single mom, sometimes you have to. You know, like at the end of the day, you know, a single mom and a single dad, I have to keep, have to try not to forget these single dads because these single dads do just as good a job the single moms out there but it's like um you're there there's you and your children nobody else is going to get their lunches nobody else is going to get them to school nobody else is going to get them to bed nobody else is going to do the washing you know you know cook clean the house etc etc it is just you 
And, and some of these single mums are doing it 24 seven, they have no help, no support from family, and they're doing it on their own. So they've got loneliness, and also being the only person sort of there. So but there are still things as a single mum that you can do, maybe lock yourself in the toilet with some chocolate. But, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, that, you know, there are some things. So okay, so one red flag is, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I need some me time. Are there any others that we can like just recognize? Because I'm tired and exhausted all the time. <laughs> Look, I have to just, you know, acknowledge what you're saying is 100% true for single mums. Yeah. And the research shows that their stress levels are definitely higher than mums that have a partner at home. But the challenge is, I think, and this is what I teach women, I've got about 20 steps that I make women go through. And okay. one of them is to look at what your values are because. Our values drive our priorities. So once we have our values nailed down and we know exactly what our values are, what is really, really important to us, what what moves the needle for us, what are we really trying to accomplish and where do we want to put our heart and soul? Once we know what those are, we can then work out what our priorities are. And then a whole lot of things just fall away. They're not important anymore. So your house doesn't have to look perfect every day, for example. And a lot of women feel that they need to do that because they feel that their home is an extension of themselves. But then they're exhausted sitting in a corner, in a corner weeping in a perfectly beautiful looking house, yeah. but they're physically, emotionally, and mentally exhausted. So values and priorities have to be analyzed. We have to look at them very, we have to take time to look at them and from there make decisions. And then the other one, of course, is making sure that we're eating from a stress resiliency perspective. Yes. Very important. And I know we started that discussion in the previous podcast, Claire, but to continue here, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that adrenaline and cortisol need nutrients to be synthesized. They don't Mm. just appear out of the blue and just, you know, work in our bodies. Nutrients are underpinning their synthesis. So, Many of the same nutrients that make adrenaline and cortisol are the nutrients required to make serotonin and melatonin and a whole lot of other nutrients and required to make energy. So if you're very stressed all the time, you are depleting your body of the nutrients that it needs to make serotonin, melatonin, other neurotransmitters and your hormones and energy. So being very, very focused on a nutrient-dense and diverse diet has to be the cornerstone, one of the cornerstones of being able to cope with stress because not just because of everything that I've said there, but also because when we stressed, we naturally gravitate to processed foods. And why is this? Yeah. We've learned that when we eat processed foods, we actually have a dip in our hypothalamus pituitary adrenal access response. Now that in plain person's Language means when we eat highly processed food, we get a little jolt of energy and a little jolt of pleasure from dopamine, but we also have a reduction in our overall feeling of stress. Mm -hmm. Why? Because those kinds of foods allow our body to produce what we call endogenous opioids. That means opioids that our body has made. So naturally it 
dampens down the stress response. And so we feel a little bit better. And then yeah, the psychology comes again. We naturally learn to gravitate to those kinds of foods when we're very stressed because we've learned over time, stimulus response, that we will feel a jolt of pleasure and then a dip in our feeling of stress. If we keep on doing that, we are obviously eating the kinds of food that are taking the place of nutrient-dense and diverse food. So we're not getting all the nutrients yeah. to create all the stuff I've just spoken about. And also we're getting another adrenaline hit because to create dopamine, which gives the pleasure hit from the processed foods, also leads to another adrenaline hit and a blood glucose crash, which we then need to rectify because, as I said in the previous podcast, there's no place in the brain to store energy. It wants a constant no. supply. So you can see how this is a perfect storm if we don't take yeah. great care of our diet. And then we just go in that cycle because then we're tired, stressed, exhausted, grab the processed food because it's easy as well as because it's feeding all of those other elements. And then we're still tired, stressed because we have that dip in um, in the in our bodies. And basically then we go around again and we're going right. And so, you know, and I suppose that's where meal preparation, you know, being a single parent, meal preparation is to a certain extent key. One yes. for weight loss, but two for being able to eat healthy. Because if you can meal prep once or twice in a week, then you're able to grab the meal preparation sort of that you've made, which is healthy. And uh, you're not then grabbing the processed stuff out of the freezer or out of the cupboard or whatever. Um, and then, you know, you're on a good cycle, not a bad cycle. Spot on. I think that in my, I've got an online course and it's one of the things that I really speak to is meal prep because busy mums don't need to open the fridge at five o'clock or half past no. five or six and say, what? No, no, you don't need that. You need some kind of a meal plan. So I provide that and I also teach them about meal prep because what I do personally on a Sunday morning after I've come back from the market, I go into the kitchen, I spend an hour and a half to two hours, I get all the food ready for the week. I know more or less what I'm going to be eating on each day, more or less. Mm. I'm obviously flexible like today, you know, came out and it got yeah. to 27 degrees I wasn't going to eat the soup so I made a salad but you know I've got everything and it's 12 here in Melbourne but hey we're not jealous <laughs> <laughs> that preparation is key you really 100% right about that so I do a whole lot of things to make sure that yep. I can open my fridge and in 20 minutes I can have a meal yeah and look yeah I, I agree with you like even to so for me it's um a Sunday it's stupid things like I'll chop a lot of my vegetables so that my I don't have to cut vegetables, would you believe it? But it's it saves me five minutes. I can then go and get a handful of different raw vegetables, put them in saucepans to cook, or I can put them in a stir fry, I can do whatever, but they're already cut. I don't have to then go, oh, what have I got? They're already cut for that that week or whatever. And I just cut for the week um, because obviously, you know, you don't want to cut and take the nutrients out of cutting them and having them sit there for months but you know and it's like I pre-pack all my son's lunchbox stuff so I can just pull it out of the fridge and replenish every night and go from there so yeah no I completely agree and then I don't deviate we, well sometimes I do <laughs> but yeah yeah and we need a little bit of flexibility that's fine but you see the other thing that we're doing if we do meal prep that pesky singular gyrus in our brain where what are we having for dinner? We'll go around yeah. and around and around. 
uses up energy, it uses up nutrients, it takes up cognitive space. We don't need yeah. that. We know that if we don't have that going on and around and around, we can actually focus on other stuff. And maybe some of that other stuff is just taking 15 minutes for ourselves, going to do a great stretch, walking yeah. around on the grass, doing a mini meditation, breathing some essential oils, having a piece of chocolate with your eyes closed, all of those tiny little things yeah. that allow us just to recalibrate and recenter ourselves in this really busy world that we now live in as mums and single mums. Yeah, I've got to say, getting up an hour before my child in the morning to meditate, stretch, do whatever. I don't do it every day. Just depends how my evening's gone and how, whether he's woken me up in the middle of the night or whatever. But like just getting up that hour before, even if it means I'm sitting writing stuff in a journal or I'm reading emails or whatever. It's that quiet time before it's a quiet before the storm before, you know, he yes. gets up and says, mom, can I have a drink? Mom, can you do this? Mom, I need this doing before school or whatever. That's sort of my time. So I quite enjoy my time. Well, it's important that you've built that into your day because that helps you actually become stress resilient because then you don't feel yeah. like you're on the back foot, like you have to catch up. It's very important for us to do that because we're not women today that sit at home and wait for someone to bring back the paycheck. We are there living in the world. And so we do feel stretched. And I think it's important for women to realize that it's normal to feel stretched. But what we must do about it is even more important because we do want to perceive, you know, to pursue our goals and our dreams. But we also love our families. So we need to make sure that we juggle very sensibly. We need to bring wisdom to this yeah. experience, not to do it on the back foot. And it is right what you say about values. My mother, dear love my mother, my mother irons and just doesn't understand that I don't iron anything. I iron the stuff that I use. Like when I get out of the cupboard, if it needs an iron, I iron it then. I don't iron it to put it away in a cupboard and sit folded up in a cupboard or hanging up in a cupboard to get creased or whatever. <laughs> God love my mum because it's like, you know, my grandmother did it and my mum does it. They iron there, they stand there on a Sunday or whatever, listening to the radio or watching TV ironing. It's the biggest waste of my life. So I don't bother ironing it until I need to wear it. And like nobody would want to come in my house with a white pair of gloves at the moment because I haven't dusted for two weeks. But that's okay. Like dusting I find it's a waste of time too. Like I do it, but like maybe I don't do it like every day or once a week or whatever. I might leave it and it might go two or three weeks because I would prefer to spend time with my son or do other things that are more productive than moving dust around so it goes up in the air and then falls back down in exactly the same place I've just dusted. So yeah, no. Exactly. And that's precisely what I'm speaking about because yeah. this is where our values have to really come into play and we have to be very honest with ourselves and say, look, I'm trying to be a perfectionist. I want to do it all. This is no life for a woman to get to 65 and be a burnt out husk because you had a beautiful looking house that hardly anybody ever saw because you were so busy working and then your children don't know who you are because you're not spending time with them. Yeah. So I think a lot of really honest conversations need to happen so that we really address the fact that we are more prone to stress than we'd like to admit. We have fluctuations in our hormones. It's hard to juggle everything. And what can we let go of that isn't going to impact our life in a material way? Yeah. Once we have those conversations clear, a lot of stress can just be shrugged off and I don't care. I don't care if my pantry isn't perfectly packed. I don't care if my laundry looks like a, a bomb's hit it. 
you know, all I care about is the fact that I'm not going to be sitting in a corner wailing and screaming and that my children are well cared for. Yeah. Those are the priorities. Yeah. Look, do you think social media has had a massive impact on like stress on, on mums and dads as such regarding having that perfect family, having that perfect um, home life? I mean, I know when I first had my son, there was a lot around you know oh people said oh you should do this you shouldn't do that you know um oh you need to do this or you need to do that like I'm five nearly six years on now and I'm like say to friends do what you feel is best do what you feel you can deal with look we're not perfect I don't know a perfect human being in this whole world world um and it's just doing our best we're all doing our best to get through this life and as happily I think it's doing your best to be happy as well yeah I think we need to think carefully about what we expose ourselves to because the comparison that a lot of women feel when they look at women online who seem to be living a perfect life you know they dress perfectly their bodies look perfect nobody knows what goes on behind closed doors and I say this to women that are coach you know you can never ever know what anybody else is living through. And you do not know what facade, what mask they're wearing. The same as nobody knows what you're going through. You know, the person that I'm working with, they don't know what you're going yeah. through. They look at your world and think, oh, that's perfect. We're not advertising our vulnerabilities. We're not being transparent about many of the challenges we're experiencing. And that's one of the problems. So yes, I do think social media has a big role to play in people portraying a, a, a stylized version of the life they wish they were yeah. living when they're not actually living that life. And I don't know why human beings have the tendency to do this. I think social media brings out the worst in us from that perspective that we feel we have to act a certain way and be a certain way besides being who we really are. I don't know what the solution to that is, Claire. I tell people to limit their time on social media, um, especially if they're going to social media to compare themselves to somebody else and see how someone else is doing because you're always going to come away feeling less than. And, you know, we need to do that as little as possible. Look, I think the times are changing. That was one of the reasons I set up this podcast was because I was sick of seeing um, the Too Good To Be True stories that were out there that I was going, come on, really? You know, really, <laughs> this is that this this doesn't happen in normal real life. So I think people are really wanting to see, well, what is the real situation? What is, you know, how can I help myself? And oh, this person went through hell but came out the other side. And you know, those sort of things. So I mean that was why I started this because I was just like so disillusioned with what I was seeing online that I just went, no, time to get real. And you don't get much realer than me. This is what you get. This is, <laughs> there's no other. Yeah. So it's very, very valuable. And I think it's a wonderful thing that you're fighting against that because I think it's something that we need to do. And I encourage women to just be themselves, just be who you are. Yeah. You know, sometimes mess and change and doing things differently is messy, but we come out the other side and you know what we have, we've got more wrinkles, but we wiser. We know what to pay attention to now. We know what to ignore. We know what our values are, what our priorities are, and we make ourselves a priority so that we can support our family to the best of our ability. And we be proud of who we are, basically, you know, it, like all faults, facets, whatever, you know, we've all had journeys to go on um, and go through and fate pushes us in all these weird and wonderful ways to make us who we are and to 
continue to grow all the way through. So, yeah, look, I just I just think we need to be proud of who we are and to encourage other women to support each other. And, and you know, and to look, I keep mentioning them, but I do feel really conscious that we need to, single mums need to support the single dads out there because I think they get a rough time of it as well because they're in a male-orientated environment they do. you know the men don't have to go home and look after the children if they're ill or whatever it's ex- sadly it's expected that females will go and look after their kids if they're ill or need to pick them up from school or whatever but single dads are doing it all as well so you know um yeah they have just as many stresses as us but I don't know it's um yeah it's a crazy world we live in at the moment Dear me, I'm sounding really old. Oh, no. I think <laughs> even young people today are experiencing anxiety and, and depression levels that, that we didn't experience in our in our youth because the world is a very different place. It's a challenging place yeah. to live in, you know. As I mentioned in the previous podcast, the brain only evolved to experience stress from between 30 to 60 seconds because the tiger either got you in that period of time or you escaped and you didn't have to be stressed anymore. So 30 to 60 seconds was what our hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal access evolved yeah. to experience. Now, today, people are experiencing chronic stress, you know, weeks, months, years yeah. of feeling this heightened feeling of overwhelm, time scarcity. It's no wonder people are so exhausted. So the focus on being able to become stress resilient is a big one for me because we're not going to ever go back to a less complicated world unless there's a huge nuclear fallout and we all have to go back to huts and caves. So, you know, we're not hoping for that, obviously, but that's the only thing. No, I hope not. <laughs> Absolutely not. But that's the only thing that will really shift us away from this technology-driven world and this complexity that we now live in. So we have to step up in a big way if we want to thrive in this kind of a world because it's not easy to do so. No, definitely, definitely. Okay, so let's just let's get back to um, managing and dealing with this stress. So we've said we need to step back a little bit take a bit of me time to reassess our values and to actually say, okay, is, do you really need to iron clothes and then put them in cupboards? Sorry, mum, but that's where I am at. Do, and then also to look at what we're eating, not to just be grabbing the processed food and doing whatever's easier to actually plan a little bit more, get some good food in the fridge and freezers so that we can actually nourish our bodies, nourish our brains, nourish the stress away as such. And then um, what else? Because you've got 20, 20 points on your list. So I, like, what other things are easy? I like quick wins as such that we could maybe do. A really quick one is to laugh at least twice a day like a good belly laugh, you know, watch a YouTube of a funny comedian that you enjoy or listen to a podcast with people that are really funny because the wonderful thing about the central nervous system is it's got these two arms. It's got the sympathetic nervous system, which I call the stress nervous system, and it's got the parasympathetic nervous system, which is commonly known as the rest and digest nervous system. Now, when we laugh, our PNS, which is the good part of our nervous system, switches on. It doesn't have a choice because look, you wouldn't be laughing if you were running away from a tiger. So the PNS goes, if you're laughing, hey, this is great. Switch on and I'm going to stay on. And then that gives you a break from the SNS, which in most people's lives is on all the time. So I recommend laughing at least twice a day. And you know, we can laugh at ourselves too. 
that is also genuine laughter. When you look at yourself and you see what you're trying to do and you go, this is just bollocks. Yeah. And we <laughs> laugh at ourselves. Yeah. So laughter is a very simple, quick one that we can really focus on doing at least twice a day. And I say to a woman, you know, don't go and binge the Netflix that's going to have oh. you up all night, you know, yeah. being adrenaline. Go and watch some YouTubes of comedians. Sit yeah. on the couch, have a good solid laugh and you'll sleep so much better because your PNS will be activated and your SNS won't get a look in. Oh, wow. Okay. Blimey. So no going and watching the weepies, go and get some comedy in your, in your life as it were. Absolutely do that because okay. it's actually an automatic response. We don't have to think about it. You know, we have to think about our values and our priorities and eating well, but the, the humor, you don't have to think about it. Naturally, your body goes PNS on. And and it's too, and I must admit, when you're in that horrible, deep, dark place where the kids have been playing you up for days, if not weeks or months, and, you know, you've had to go up the school because there's been a letter or whatever, and you're tired and the kids have had you up at 3 a.m. and you're trying to sort out dinner and work's been a right pain. Sometimes all you want to do is sit and wallow in it and just sit and actually watch the really depressing, horrible, like movies or whatever and go, oh yeah, no, oh, this is really bad. But actually what you're saying is don't do that. If you're feeling, but I also find, and I don't know, I don't know if this is going to be one of your points, but I also find if I'm in the horrible, deep, dark, funky mood, just getting up and I go, okay, I'm going to go and go for a walk for 10 minutes. Even if it's, even if it means that I have to get up, leave the house early to go and pick my son up from school or whatever, then I'll just go out for 10, 15 minutes, walk around with music or a podcast or something on my headphones. One, it gets my steps up Two, it just means that my funk changes before I actually go and pick him up. Um, and so I'm ready for him and his hungry, angry stage and all of the other stuff that comes with picking kids up from school when they've been like being educated and tired and just funky themselves so that I can go and cope with the rest of the day. So I don't know, is, is, yeah. would you say exercise would be a... It's one of the 22 points. Sorry. So you're busy ticking them off here. So I am, I am. I'm taking notes. Don't go there. <laughs> that movement is very important because that also releases compounds in our body that help us see things in perspective because that's exactly what you were speaking about when everything looks dark and the only things you can focus on are the things that look wrong and that have gone wrong and that could go wrong and that went wrong you know you get into that dark place um those are all sorts of emotions that actually drive structural change in the brain and lead to us having a greater tendency towards anxiety and depression. So we want to get out of that as soon as possible. And when we move, we allow all of these different hormones to start working. And suddenly the world looks better mm. simply because we shifted our perspective. It allows that. So that's a very important part of this whole process, moving regularly, because we were meant to move a lot more than we move today. Oh, yeah. And most people aren't moving. And when we feel depressed, we naturally don't want to move. So you actually have to force yourself to do that because and this is an important thing that a lot of people don't realize, that emotion travels faster in the brain than thought. Oh, wow. Okay. Up to three times faster. And it had to because you couldn't be considering whether it was a tiger in the bushes or a rustle. You just had to feel fear and move. So 
if you allow those emotions to take over, all you'll have is emotion after emotion after emotion, which pulls you down into a black place. Mm. You have to try and bring forth an emotion that will stimulate a thought that leaves you feeling like you have power and capacity. Yeah. By moving, you do that. You naturally allow yourself to feel like you have action, you have capacity, you can move forward, you, you are capable of change. And then that emotion shifts and then the thinking can shift. Yeah. So it works together beautifully if you can just nip it in the bud and get out. Yeah, it's like get your body out and then your mind will follow as such, isn't it? It's, yeah. Yes, yeah. it is. And so then the emotions shift and then the thinking will shift. So those deep, dark, dangerous emotions are the ones we want to get out of as soon as possible. And the fastest way to do that is firstly through laughter. (laughs) But if you can laugh and be moving at the same time, even better, because then suddenly the emotions shift and the thinking can shift. So we have to be very mindful of that. And, you know, neuroscience is giving us these strategies for us not to use them to our benefit is really kind of like a waste. Yeah, no, it definitely, yeah, it definitely is. And I think, you know, it, any anything that you can draw on to get you out of that funky mood is um, is good. Because I like, you know, I don't know. I it's, it's a frightening world that we live in. And I, you know, I sort of trying to teach my son, even though he's like five, nearly six, to, um, to use different techniques to to move, to think about things in a different way, because I'm just concerned that the way things and and the world is going and millennials and all of that, there's there's so much teenagers who are committing suicide because they think that's the only thing that they can do. We've got anxiety, we've got depression and all of that in our children. And like when I think about when I was a child, I none of this existed yeah we had but you know you have bad days and good days but none of this really existed I wasn't comparing myself to other people I wasn't um you know it, it just was I just got on like with a normal life so there's so many different things that are compounding our children nowadays that you know you know we need to just be teaching them different traits and skills to be able to pull ourselves out, but get them out of a hole as well. Yeah, because, you know, as I said on the previous podcast, children see better than they hear. And so if they see uh, yeah, exactly using those strategies, it becomes easier for them to use them as well because the world is a complex place today. And I think building that resilience is extremely important because children are becoming less and less resilient because of a variety of reasons. And one of them mm. is social media because of the comparison and because of the doom and gloom, depending on what echo chamber they found themselves in online. So teaching them to be resilient and to actually use the skills that we've known for many, many millennia, in fact. You know, the Stoics taught us that life was challenging and that we have to step up. And um, some interesting research, and I think this could be helpful for mums when they get into a really bad spot. Some research showed that some of the prisoners of war um, in Vietnam died of a broken heart. And this is why they died of a broken heart. When they spoke to the survivors of the prisoner of war camps, they discovered that the ones that survived were not the optimists. And this seems like a counterintuitive thing to say, but what they discovered was that the people that survived told themselves they would get out but they didn't have a time limit on it. Oh, right. Whereas the optimists 
said, hey, by Easter, we'll be out. And when they weren't out by Easter, they were disappointed. Then Christmas was coming. Then they said, hey, by Christmas, we'll be out. And they weren't out. So they died of a broken heart. Uh-huh. And the commander that actually spoke to this was a commander, Stockdale. And when he told the journalist that the optimists were the ones that died, the journalist was horrified because, you know, common myth and common psychology says, hey, optimism is really good. Yep. It's a wise optimism that was necessary because what Stockdale did and all the other survivors, they said, look, this is a really bad place that we're in and we're in a very bad space and we don't know when the hell we're going to get out. But you know what? We're going to survive until we do. They had a different mindset. So when people get into a dark space, it's important for them to remember that it may not be tomorrow and it may not be next week, but guess what? They're going to get out of that bad place. And if they do everything that they can to lift themselves, they end up getting out of that that, that bad place from a cognitive perspective a lot faster yep. than if they wallow in it and try and say, hey, next week I'm going to feel better. Yeah. We need to really be cognizant of the capacity for the brain to, to shift our focus and our perspective to serve us, not just follow blindly you know, what, what popular culture says. Yeah, look, I agree. Look, um, I think if I actually get, was to give my 18-year-old self a bit of advice all those years ago, I think just saying, just to tell myself, this too will pass. I think that's a fantastic phrase because it's just about taking a breath and going, this too will pass. You know, sometimes it's like, go to bed, pull the covers over your head, go to sleep tomorrow's another day, tomorrow's, an, you know, it, it could be a whole different myriad of opportunities. And to actually just think tomorrow's another day, this too will pass. You've just got to continue to get through this and move forward. Absolutely. I think that's wonderful advice. I think I would do something really similar. I would tell my, my 18-year-old mm. self not to sweat the small stuff and to be very yes. sure of what the small stuff was. And most of it is small stuff when you look back, Yeah, you know. It is. It's, yeah, it is. Um, it's quite funny because somebody said to me, um, look back three, four years ago on something that you feared would happen. One, did it happen? And two, if it did happen, how big was it? Like how, what's, you know, because you always fear, oh, this will going to happen. And, and then if that happens, then this will happen and this will happen and this will happen. And actually none of it happens. Or if the one thing that you fear <laughs> happened, uh, like a relationship breakup or whatever, and you look back on it and you go, well, actually, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Precisely. So, Precisely. yeah, it's... That pesky singular gyrus, we can let that thought go around and around and around. Yeah. Thought, or we can do something and movement often gets that thought out and gets a new thought in, which is what we want. Yeah. So, yeah. in my life, what I've done personally, we've got this new motto in our family and we say... When someone says, but what happens if this happens and how's that going to work? We now say to each other, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it because we can spend our whole life anticipating all the disasters that can happen. And, you know, it takes a while to shift your thinking and build a new neural pathway to incorporate that. Just at lunchtime, I said something to my husband and he said, we'll cross that bridge. And he doesn't even have to change the <laughs> sentence. No, he doesn't have to finish the sentence. And I, when he said something to me earlier, I said, that bridge. And so we laughed and said, there's so many yeah. jolly bridges around us. And I, yeah. in life, that is the truth. There are lots of bridges. Are you going to cross them before you have to? Or are you going to cross them when you need to? Need to. And yeah. That's I like that question. No, that's really, really good advice, actually. Yeah, it's all the what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, what if, what if it, 
does happen, you know. It could be the best thing that ever happens to you. So, yeah, no, that's awesome. Look, it's been a pleasure speaking to you again. It always is a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much for coming on again. Um, it's brilliant. I love talking to you. You speak with, you speak so eloquently and you speak with such depth about the subject. Well, 20 years research you would do, I suppose, but like, you know, this, <laughs> you just know so much about the stress, female brain, feeding, uh, feeding our brains, nutrition, how it affects us. Look, thank you. It's been a pleasure speaking to you again. It's been thank awesome. Um, if people wanted to get in contact with you again, do they just go to your website, the uh, Living Your Best? That's the website, isn't it? It's www.lby.life, which stands for Lighter, Brighter You. And on Instagram, the same. And they see a lot of ways that I make food there if they want to go and have a look at that. Because that's okay, cool. one of the things that we want to do. And also I, I post. And you're on Facey. I'm on Facebook. You're on well. Facey as LinkedIn. well. Yeah. So. Oh, and on LinkedIn. And on LinkedIn. Because I suppose, right, so the other thing that you do is you do do online courses, workshops, and you you tailor events. You can also tailor events as well. You do tailored events. Tailor events or you do tailored events. Whatever, which whichever way those events tailor themselves, um, you do them. So do. Um, if, yeah, so if people who have corporations, businesses or whatever listening to this, if they want you to come along and talk, then they're more than welcome to get in contact with you regarding that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. They can no. have a look at my contact section on my website and they can send me an email and I'll be happy to chat to them and we can get all of our stressed brains stress resilient brilliant brilliant no that's awesome well look we've already asked you what superpower you wanted to have which was the power of reading people's minds which is slightly crazy and you wanted to filter on that which was okay um so that's look i'm i can't ask you that again i don't know what else to ask you so we covered off so many other subjects so look thank you so much and also you've got a children's um, feeding your children, feeding their brains and feeding your children brains yes. uh, that we've also discussed on the other podcast that, you know, I'll post all the details to on this podcast as well. Once, once, um, once you've put the fine details to it, cause I know you're just creating that at the moment, yeah. but yeah. So, um, thank you. It's been a delight. Thank you. Claire. Thank you so, so much. Enjoy the rest of your chilly afternoon. Yeah, well, you enjoy the heat up in good old Queensland. So jealous. Thank you very much. It's getting dark here as well, and it's only like a bus two. Oh my so all good. Well, climate change is real. Yeah, no, I think it is. Eat less farting cows, that's all I can say. Absolutely. Thanks, Claire. <laughs> Bye. Okay, see you later. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, please hit subscribe wherever you like to hear podcasts. If you'd like to support us further, share this episode with your friends and family on all the usual social media platforms that you're normally on. And finally, drop us a review on iTunes as I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments and ideas. It all helps me to understand and produce awesome content that I know you're going to want to hear like this. If you want to check out past episodes, write to us, appear on the podcast, or for links, resources, and show notes, go to our website, www.strongsingleandhuman.com. 
We are also on all the usual social media platforms, Insta, Facey and Twitter. Have a wonderful week and I hope to see you back here again soon. Be kind to yourself and remember, no one's perfect and we're all just putting one foot in front of the other and doing our best. I'm Claire Martin and you've been listening to the Strong, Single and Human podcast.